1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, I'm Andrew Sharp and live in my living room from the Washington Post... Ben Golliver, What's up, man?
0: Not too much, Andrew. I think it's hilarious that you and I have just sprung a trap on your poor wife because (laughs) I have now moved in. I'm your new, you know, uh, I don't know if you're subletting to me, but I guess I get the couch tonight, you said, and maybe I can work my way up to the spare bedroom if I do dishes or something like this. Yeah, here we are. But your wife's not here. We did not tell her I was going to be crashing with you for the next week. And I cannot wait to surprise
1: her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she's out at a work dinner. And I don't know, man, I'm just happy to have you here. Welcome to the district.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful. I got to say my uh, first sort of, uh, you know, taste of your house and your interior decoration was walking in your living room. And so the Open Floor Globe listeners know, Andrew does not come on here on the podcast in front. He's the real deal. He's got a nice professionally framed Gilbert Arena's Free Darko print (laughs) on the wall. But even better than that, as I looked across his living room towards the mantle, what did I see proudly displayed but a Lego set. And then I completed my lap around his living room, saw his very beautiful Christmas tree with some presents underneath the tree. And I I said to Andrew, you know, if you had a good year, Andrew. You know, Alice might take care of you and get some Legos and what did you say? (laughs) Oh, I'm getting Legos for Christmas He was bragging to me guys.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether it's bragging, but I am getting a Lego for Christmas Um, no, it's great to have you here, man, you know, the gilbert art is tasteful. I'm proud of it the uh Ubre bobblehead and the Nene bobblehead are probably I'm probably a little too old to be displaying those as proudly as I am um not to mention the Legos <laughs> but um
0: look Legos are for adults we've been over this it, and don't let anybody child shame you on the bobbleheads either those are a uh, I think an internal interior decorating utility for anyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and I used to have an extensive collection of posters that I have since uh, been forcibly separated from. And so there's sort of incremental progress. Every five years, I think my wife will win another battle. Um, But for now, we're holding strong here.
0: Yeah. You're doing your best to stave off maturity. I completely understand that. So just to set the record clear, though, I'm only visiting. I'm not actually going to be living with Andrew and I'm not moving to D.C. We got a lot of people wondering about that. Don't worry, Andrew. I'm going to hold down the open floor globe on the West Coast. You're going to handle the East Coast. We will be perfectly balanced. But we do get to have some in-person episodes this week. It's
1: really disappointing that you're not making the (laughs) DC move. I don't know how you could choose 85 degrees every day over 45 degrees in December. 45 and rainy, because it never actually snows here. It's always just sort of like mediocrity (laughs) Um. well look
0: you know me i'm a western conference elitist i was coming here prepared with all of my heaviest clothes that i've been like put away (laughs) (laughs) in vacuum sealing for the whole week right and i was gonna just be like look at how crappy this weather is but it was beautiful today Andrew. it was really nice but look you know there was a sad piece of washington dc related news this week with the passing of george hw bush and now, I'm sure that's oh, why boy. people have tuned in to, to hear us talk today for about an hour to eulogize <laughs> it. Put it in perspective, <him>. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get into a big legacy talk, okay? <laughs> uh, no, but actually I wanted to read one line from the New York Times obituary of George H.W. Bush because in George H.W. Bush's mother, Andrew, I found a kindred spirit. Can you believe that? Here's what it said. Mr. Bush once boasted to his mother that he had scored three goals in a soccer match. That's nice, George, his mother replied, but how did the team do? And Andrew, I want you to think about that. When you're looking at these bucket getters, your favorite Zach Levines of the world, I want you to really consider how is the team doing?
1: You know, I'll tell you what, and we'll talk more Bulls later in the podcast. Zach Levine is a rough watch. (laughs) If you really watch a full Bulls game, some of the decisions he makes on defense will leave you pretty puzzled. Because I watched uh, Bulls-Rockets to celebrate the return of my guy, Lowry Markinen. and um, I don't know. As a as a stockholder in both Lowry and Wendell Carter Jr., I'm not sure Levine is the guy to kind of tie it all together no, for Chicago. He's, he's
0: definitely not the guy. We're sure he's not the guy. I don't often get pot envy because I like to keep it very real. Uh-huh. I like to keep it really real. Okay. Kevin <laughs> Kevin Arnabets. Just destroyed Zach Levine on Zach Lowe's podcast. I can't recommend his rant about Levine enough. I came away from that discussion of Levine's shortcomings as it relates to the Bulls' future with serious pot envy. He's definitely not the guy, Andrew, and maybe that's where we should start.
1: Mostly. No, 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 no. I, we, oh, you've got to start, We have to start with your first day at the post. How oh. was it out there? <laughs> you know?
0: The most boring possible
1: topic. <laughs> did you do any, like, trust falls or group exercises? No, we didn't
0: go all that way. I did have to uh, write up a little bio for the website, and they said, what's your favorite quotation? Can you guess what I said my favorite quotation was?
1: Um... Is it something about playing? Your Twitter bio is one of the most ridiculous things about you. You already know. Um, That's a great Twitter bio. Was the bio. post cool with that? Uh, they don't police that. You know,
0: <laughs> democracy dies in darkness, Andrew. If we have people up here looking over your shoulder, editing your Twitter bio, you know where have we become as a society? To answer my own question, because you didn't even... Try for Well, a guess. you
1: already know is my official guess. And if okay. not that, maybe it's, it's that. something about playing with a purpose. Well, Andrew, what's the greatest ability? Oh, God.
0: <laughs> the greatest ability is availability. And I decided that was my favorite You're quote.
1: A day into your post-career, and I'm already disgusted with you.
0: Also, we had to say, what's one random thing on
1: your desk? And I got to say, Big Ben Lego set. So I'm
0: making a great first impression.
1: <laughs> there you go. Did Dan Steinberg give you any kind of initiation into the local sports misery that we deal with? every day here
0: um he showed off a record that he had from the washington bullets winning the nba title and there was some sort of a song that had been made to celebrate the 1976 yes. t- title i believe oh
1: he's got the authentic record there yeah
0: he's got it and i think it could be a belated nomination into the best music basketball music conversation that we were trying to have that i sidetracked with a whole bunch of nba superstars discussion last week yeah it looked pretty good
1: okay um yeah, my only thought on that, it's a little dark, but one of the saddest parts of being a Wizards fan is that even that title is one of the lamest titles in NBA yeah. history. That's <laughs> like, the difference
0: That's the difference between the Bullets fans and the Blazers fans because people like Bill Simmons will say, well, the weak part of the NBA had all these cheap titles, the Sonics and yeah. the Bullets and the Blazers. But in Portland, they don't want to hear that at all. They name everything after the 1970s. <laughs> there's bars named after the 77 title. Walton is considered a patron saint. Maurice Lucas, everyone names their kids after Maurice Lucas. Yeah. So it can go one to
1: two ways. Whereas, like, Wes Unseld came to DC and stayed for 50 years and <laughs> was sort of like Ernie Grunfeld before Ernie Grunfeld. Um, but I'm probably blaspheming in several different ways here. So let's get into it for real. The first topic, Ben, okay. I wanted to talk to you. I wrote a column this morning, yeah. Monday morning. Uh, and
0: before we even get into it, last week we decided we're not going to have any real major changes with the podcast. We're going to just try to keep it going. You know, I'm leaving, but we're going to keep and yeah. you know, we're going to have the podcast is going to be together. The state of our union is strong. 1 week later you're just going to read your column on the podcast <laughs> verbatim. No, man. So your column was called 10 Thoughts After 20 Games. I only agreed with like three of the thoughts, but now we're going to run through all 10 of them in order, and no. you're just going to tell us why? Here's what we're going to do. I haven't discussed
1: any of this with you, so I'm just going to read my takes, and we I'm going to see what you think, okay?
0: okay. I'm going to come up with some scale in terms of how much I disagreed with some of these.
1: All right. We're going to keep this brief, but okay. number one, Joel Embiid is the best big man since Tim Duncan and Shaq. I want you to know that I initially wrote that as Joel Embiid is the best big man since Shaq and put Duncan in there as a technicality. But how are you feeling in general?
0: Well, Duncan was more recent, better in every way, and won more titles than Shaq. So I don't (laughs) even know why Shaq seems like he's the extraneous part of this statement. Why
1: do you even need to mention Shaq? So... Anthony Davis just never existed? I I mention Anthony Davis in the column. To me, he's more of like a unicorn and sort of a a platonic ideal of the modern big, whereas Embiid, watching him every night, it really is kind of like a throwback to big men who would just tear through defenses and make everyone look helpless. And, um, I mean, he's now starting to get a lot of the love that he's probably deserved for a few weeks now where he's getting thrown into the MVP conversation. People are looking at his numbers like, holy shit, are you serious? And he's just, night to night, he might be the most entertaining player in the NBA so far this year. Well, besides Giannis. But I think,
0: did he have a unicorn, uh, you know, like surgery to remove his horn? Like, did he get, (laughs) are we taking him now out of the unicorn conversation? I think that's what I'm doing, because here's
1: the thing. He can take threes, but the best parts of his game are down low. Like, the, his footwork is so yeah. good, his touch around the rim. I feel
0: like he got amputated. I think he got his horn amputated because he's not really that good at shooting threes. Yeah. He came in and was like nailing them, and it was like, oh, okay, this guy's going to get better. He's going to be a 40% three point shooter. And it's really gone the other way the last two years. But. You know, now you get frustrated when he shoots him because he could do all these other things inside and because he can punish all these people who are just not physically equipped
1: to guard him. So I'm with you. Um, I still don't enjoy watching the Sixers as much as I thought I would. I only enjoy Embiid. I think there are the other parts of their offense. Like, I swear to God, they run 25 dribble handoffs for (laughs) J.J. Redick in every single game. And then, like, the Simmons-Butler fit... Both of them are good. And I get people who tweet at me being like, oh, you were down on the Sixers. Like, no, I wasn't. I just said that it's going to be kind of an awkward fit. And it has been. And it's going to continue to be. And Jimmy Butler when he's off to the side is just half as effective as jimmy butler should be is there
0: a season going to end with like landry Shamit taking five shots in like the last six <laughs> minutes of a game and, ev- it, but, and everyone wondering why Embiid isn't being force-fed like is that part is that kind of your concern where you're going with that a or? little
1: bit i mean the 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 stretches they have where they are just throwing it into Embiid and letting him dominate, they are a lot of fun because that's the thing that, to me, is kind of incredible about Embiid is he is probably the only big in the league right now who you can honestly make the case that just throwing it to him in the post is more efficient offense than working it around the perimeter and getting an open three just because he's so good down there and makes it look so easy and that wasn't always true last year. And I think that's part of the, the story with Embiid this year is like, he's one of the guys who really has gotten 20 to 30% better than where he was a year ago. And I mean, he was all NBA a year yeah. ago.
0: Can I tell you my favorite Joel Embiid highlight of the season? What? Uh, Him getting blocked by Jaron in transition the other night, like a foot Yo. above the rim. And so here's my next question is you when you write this column next year, 10 thoughts after 20 games, are you just gonna scratch out Joel Embiid's name for the best big man <laughs> since Tim Duncan and put in Jaren?
1: I don't know. I don't know if Jaren is really in the conversation. What I love about Embiid is that he dominates like someone from the 90s. And uh, and uh, you know, the, the other thing that I wrote today is that he's one of the only big men who doesn't look like he's like struggling to survive out on the court. Like he, he yeah. sort of punishes everybody. We're going to get to Jaron though. That's okay. later later on in Thank the Thank God we have a
0: thought for Jaron. Can I also say though since we first started talking about scoring early on this year, uh-huh. it has come down a little bit. Now yeah. not all the way. It's still significantly up from last year. I think it's about 4 to 5 points up over last year, but it's not the 10 points up that it was for like the first couple of weeks of the season. So it's still settling a little bit and I know a lot of people have, have been kind of wondering like this is a weird year. You know, when are these teams finally going to emerge? As who's actually good, who's not actually good? When's the style of play going to settle in? Um, our total panic on behalf of centers that happened like two weeks into the season. Or at least my total well, panic. Well,
1: that's now an annual thing. I'd yeah. say every six weeks in an in any given modern NBA season, somebody declares that big men are dead and yeah. ob- and completely but obsolete. I, I
0: do think this year was worse because we were like worrying about Gobert you know and some of these are guys and and he hasn't been yeah Yeah. but i think Embiid is safe i mean i think we've we've come to the point where like the game isn't
1: so weird that well
0: he's marginalized
1: and to me that's just a testament to how amazing he is because i i don't look at a a number of other big men and say they're safe but Embiid, it's like okay (laughs) like you can do whatever you want so uh so where do you have
0: him on your mvp combo
1: uh, and he's not more
0: entertaining than Giannis how are you going to try to slip that in Giannis is a lot more entertaining
1: yeah Giannis is I mean Giannis is in the conversation I just I, I have to admit I've had more fun watching Embiid <laughs> so far um, well here's
0: the crazy thing though he hasn't missed a game yet right yes that's nuts
1: that's nuts and that's what I was going to add at the end they need to start monitoring his minutes more closely than they have been and I think Embiid is probably one of the reasons that they are pushing the envelope a little bit because he probably wants to play as much as possible but uh chill (laughs) we don't need to tempt fate with the Embiid trajectory. Well,
0: look, I'm not going to be complaining. I I mean, I'd much rather have him play every night than have Kawhi play twice a week, you know what I mean? Yeah, Like, there's a healthy medium (laughs) for both those guys they could meet in the middle. But for me, I think it's remarkable that he's played as many minutes as he has.
1: And I'm still kind of shocked that he's healthy, you know? There's never going to be a point, maybe, maybe a couple years from now this will just be normal, but I still watch him and have to pinch myself, and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe this worked out. Yeah, I mean, let's
0: rewind two years when Embiid's like barely on the court, and we're we're saying who would you rather have as a long-term person, Wiggins or Embiid? And the idea is Wiggins playing every single night, Embiid, totally. and who knows. Now Wiggins doesn't even appear to like basketball anymore. It looks like he's looking for a second career, like mid-career. He's he's having kind of a, a midlife crisis, and meanwhile, Embiid is like an Iron Man.
1: <laughs> like, what <laughs> dominating the entire league. Um... I do not have specific MVP rankings right now. I, I, Giannis is number one, and everybody else is Giannis
0: ranked. is one, KD two, and B three.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Um,
0: let me think. After that, I don't know. That's Steph- probably my top three. Steph
1: and Kawhi will be heard from down the line, but neither one of them have played often enough to be in that top three. I think they'll probably one of them will probably finish in the top three, but um, it's a good segue to the next question. Uh, number two on my list. The throne is empty. There is (laughs) ten out of ten. Hard disagree, but go ahead. All right. There is no best basketball player alive at the at this moment in time.
0: This is my first year of getting to see LeBron basically night in, night out, or regularly seeing him in person. His level of mastery is absolutely ridiculous, and he coasts an awful lot. The fact that the Lakers are so comfortably above five hundred with him just sort of letting Lonzo and letting Ingram kind of feel their way out through the season, to me it says when June comes around and he needs to completely crank it up, he will be able to do that to a degree that no one else can match as an individual player. Now, that doesn't mean they're even going to get out of the first round of the playoffs necessarily, but I still think his ability to sustain his own individual play at the highest level over the course of a series or perhaps a playoff run is a cut above everybody else. And I say that loving KD more than 99.99% of the people out there uh-huh. and really
1: wishing Kevin got more credit for that incredible week that he had. <laughs> Your friend Kevin. Yeah, no, he, he look, he got credit from me. Unfortunately, we oh, already publicly? recorded. Oh, <laughs> publicly? Yes, publicly. I wrote about it. Uh, but I also, I, I was pissed off that we had already recorded the podcast before Kevin Durant went nuts against the Raptors the other night because... That was incredible. Do, do you understand? That's the Kevin Durant that I have wanted all along. And, yeah. like, he's that's al- the he's Durant always been we there. deserve. <laughs> okay, just to be clear, yeah. we deserve Kevin Durant forced to have out-of-body experiences every couple of nights. I mean, it's
0: out of control. Uh, my lesson that I took from the Raptors game was the signature moment was the corner three, right? Just, yeah. like, the crazy, st- the crazy step back, clock's running down. How am I going to get this three off? A I- I quick fake. The ultimate hero ball quote-unquote shot right Mm -hmm. but i think what we have to realize when we look at with kevin is how i felt during the western conference finals too is this guy doesn't really take bad shots because the shots he gets even if they're contested twos or fadeaway threes are still completely clean because there's nobody who can really contest them like you can you can be there you can be draped on them but it really doesn't matter. It doesn't affect his shooting motion. He's, his pocket is so much higher than the defender's that's hands. A great point. So, I mean, and his range now, you know, and it's it's been like this, but his range is five, six feet behind the three-point line too. So he can step up off the dribble with two guys on him and still get a high-quality look, a
1: quality shot that not very many other guys can. So Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned that shot in the corner, which, by the way, was over Kawhi. It wasn't over some bullshit like C.J. Miles... Uh, random Raptors defender. That's like the best perimeter defender we have in basketball. Oh, well,
0: two nights out of seven, but
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, to me, I loved the 30-footer that he buried like 30 seconds before that yeah. from the top of the key. I mean, Now he, we're just
0: ranking his shots. Sh- look, no. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a great game, I and I hear what you're saying. But again, I think people like you love to twist this stuff. Oh, we can only appreciate it in this idea of, oh, if he has his own team. I mean – Let's no, just no. give him his credit in this context. It was incredible. He stepped up with Steph out, had three straight 40-plus point games, and he's going to be ridiculous in this year's playoffs again, and he's probably going to get you know finals MVP or finish second again. Yeah. And we can give him credit for just doing that. We don't have to say, oh, it's so, so much more. So you're sticking ner-
1: with Braun, though, to, to boil this down. Yes,
0: absolutely. Okay. Uh, but just because I think I haven't seen the physical sl- signs of slippage. I've seen him managing his his body very carefully especially on defense, I mean, it's almost laughable at times, the stretches that he, like, takes off on defense. Managing
1: his body is a really diplomatic way to put it. Which just dares people to shoot. No, I, I
0: love like, – you know, there's definitely pages in their, like, play – in other playbooks, but, like, their uh, you know, pregame packets of, like, this guy's not a shooter, you know, make this guy shoot a three. Yeah. And LeBron just, like, takes that to, like, the 10th degree. It's like, oh, if this guy's a 30% <laughs> three-point shooter, I'm going to make him hit, like, four in a row before I actually, like, pretend to go guard him. But uh, – it's just his control in the half court especially his ability to generate shots for himself get to the free throw line or just wide open threes for his teammates it's just such a high level physically there's nobody on you know who's comparable i mean i just don't see any argument that says he can't do next june what he did last june
1: yeah, maybe. I mean, what did he really do last June? He, he Come on. A, like,
0: he, had an, he had one good game no, against the Warriors. He didn't have, well, yeah, because he had a broken hand. He had a pretty incredible June. And not only that, but it, mostly I meant the yeah, whole no, postseason I know, run.
1: I know. He beat was, a bunch of JV teams in the East. I Look, well, hey, LeBron look. is really good, okay? Uh, you're not getting any kind of argument from me except to say that he's not the undisputed best player in the league. And let me tell you why. Okay. Here's what I worry about. I I recognize that 30% of the time he is still clearly on another level than even someone like Durant because he could just do whatever he wants. He's the queen on the chessboard, as Kirk Goldsbury wrote like five years ago. What I worry about is that, you know, it like everyone kind of looks at this as a conscious choice by LeBron to manage his body and sort of like keep himself fresh. I don't know if he has an alternative. Like I don't know if he can go hard for 82 games on both ends of the floor anymore. And I and I think. But that, is that how we're is that how we're judging the best the throne? Well, no. I think at some point that has to start to matter. If you if you're just not going to play defense for six months, and he hasn't been that bad, but he's been he's had moments where it's like whoa
0: okay look if the team was under 500 or if you know they were in the lottery discussion or if his offense was slipping a lot or if he wasn't just and shooting his incredible threes the
1: offense is not necessarily slipping numbers wise but i think He'll have games where he just doesn't really attack the rim for the first three quarters. He settles for yeah. a lot of pull-ups. But do
0: you really think that means he can't do it? I mean, I read your call. I mean, you were trying to insinuate, hey, it's possible he can't do it. Andrew, he can do it.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. He's just I'm not choosing he not to. He can't do it. I'm not I'm saying he can't do it every night anymore. That like that's how aging works. He can do it every
0: night he wants to in the playoffs. Let me just cause you were trying to you know, downplay his playoff performance last year. And I'm always interested in making fun of the Eastern Conference (laughs) teams. Look, you can read out his stats. Are you about
1: to read his stats? (laughs) I am. Just
0: deal with it, okay? Because he averaged 34 points, uh, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. He shot 54% from the field. He led the postseason in games, minutes, field goals, field goal attempts, free throws, free throw attempts, assists, and points. Right. Right. Come on.
1: No, he's great. He's it's, he's he, rich man's Westbrook at this point in his career. He's got the throne.
0: But I will say if if Steph Does, has stayed healthy the whole way, yeah. this conversation's different.
1: All right. That's all I'm that's all I'm asking is an acknowledgement that the door is open and we're gonna have to revisit all of this in July.
0: The door has frustratingly been open for like three years. Yes. And I just keep slamming it back in my own face. And now I think I'm at the point Are where you, like fool me once, fool me twice, and I don't want to be fooled the third time. Someone has to rip it out of his hands, and I haven't seen anybody ready to do that yet.
1: Are you worried at all about how his offense affects his teammates? Because it seems like Kyle Kuzma is the perfect guy to play next to LeBron, and then guys like Brandon Ingram are just going to struggle.
0: I am concerned that these on-off Ingram with LeBron stats are going to get back to KD, and he's going to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why should I go sign with LeBron next summer? And, I, you know, we've had this debate— well, do stars want to play with them, right? But it's not like Ingram's a star. But if you're a legit star and you know what you're capable of, but you're also seeing how LeBron plays, and he has to be the Alpha and Omega, and by the way, they're playing slower. LeBron, yeah. LeBron's doing more with the ball in his hands. They're playing with the center, which doesn't really impact LeBron as much, but it does impact the secondary guys when they when they don't have as much room to operate
1: see you're making the case for it. you get it you get it deep down no, you
0: know just, that the throne is empty no the throne <laughs> is not empty he's on the throne i'm just worried that these other superstars are going to have some of their concerns that we've raised before whether it was paul george Kawhi, kyrie all not really wanting to play with lebron yeah. feeling like lebron is not the best person to get uh you know and A superstar teammate playing at his peak level, right? right.
1: And, and I would say that all of that should be baked into how we value guys and how we rank them at the top of the league. Um, but as far as the Ingram on-off numbers part of me wonders whether rich paul is like leaking those stats to the media like let's in, inflate ingram's trade value here and see what we have
0: yeah it's either that or it's rich Kleiman and david Fisdale like getting together and be like how do we keep kevin away from la how do we get <laughs> him to the be. knicks we
1: we gotta uh, we gotta dissuade him no i, I don't know I, I think uh the problem is not ingram it's lebron that's yeah. like, <laughs> a, like a nice propaganda campaign from the lakers front office um which doesn't Include Rich Paul, at this point,
0: I also have to take issue with your other Lakers column. I thought you were a little tuned down on them, man. They're playing yeah. pretty good. They won he... 10 games in November. They're on the upswing. Obviously, they've been playing a lot at home more recently, so that probably helps. Yep. They're a lot more stable with Tyson. I mean, it seemed to me like you were trying to write that the sky was falling, but you wanted the sky to fall.
1: It, well, I do. Pardon me. <laughs> I do watch a lot of their games as a hater or a skeptic. Um, but they they have been good. They've been able to kind of right the ship and stabilize things. And the the thing that's funny about the Lakers and I don't know whether it's them or us, but it depends on when you catch them. Like I wrote that column after they went into Denver and really mailed it in against the Nuggets team that's beatable and should be beatable if you're like a playoff team that's going to finish in the middle or the what rest. about that
0: Suns game if you wrote the column after the first exactly. quarter it might be a little different than you read it after they, they the win Mavs, by 24 they
1: came back and looked great in the second yeah. half but like this so you just never really know and um so i don't want to like get too definitive congratulating the lakers
0: all i'm saying is lebron is out operating in like third gear yeah and there's going to be a consistency element that comes out in the playoffs from him and it will translate to the whole team I think he's going to iron out some of their weakest issues uh, simply by playing a lot harder than he
1: is. Okay. Um, well, moving on, most interesting part of this Warriors era will be how it ends. The Clippers are not a joke. We can skip those. Jeremy- <laughs>
0: uh, we cannot skip the most interesting story of the Warriors era being no, no, no. how it Here's ends. Here's
1: the deal. We're not going to skip it. We're going to save that argument for another day. I
0: just wanted to say that there are so many interesting aspects of this warriors
1: era primarily
0: the rise of Steph.
1: yeah and i think well no no what i mean by this warriors era is the hampton's five warriors oh now you're parsing it's not an era (laughs) it's two years well, I to me it's sort of like an era within an era. Well, I also
0: think that KD, a top potentially all t- you know all-time top eight player, uh-huh. winning his first title, no matter how he gets it, is a pretty interesting story.
1: <laughs> winning his first title, nailing jumpers over George Hill, it was really cool <laughs> triumph. Um,
0: Such a hater.
1: So the Clippers are not a joke. I think the Clippers are really, really solid, and it really good shape next summer and we should come back to that. I do agree
0: with that one. I I can't nitpick that one.
1: Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. could be the best prospect to hit the NBA in five years.
0: Well you're hedging there pretty hard. Could be. That could is doing a lot of work. It could
1: is doing a lot of work Um, and really when you break it down I I was going back to Giannis and I think that Jaron is it. who I guess For whatever reason, you win. We're going to roll with (laughs) Jaron as the Triple J nickname on open floor. It's so
0: funny you say that because I was going to congratulate you on forming a coalition, an anti-Jaron coalition, because I had that little tweet about how his stats and how it compared to other teenagers. I heard from men, women, senior citizens, middle schoolers, college kids, working professionals, all of whom were telling me, you're not going to be able to make Jaren a thing. (laughs) Stop trying to make Jaren a thing. And did you hear this, people? Andrew is ready to say that Jaren is now officially a thing.
1: You know what I heard uh, recently? Somebody was calling him J. Jack Jr. Oh, no. I can get behind that. Um, Uh, Anyways, we'll keep workshopping it. I just think that defensively, did you watch any of the Sixers game the other night? Yes, I did. That's why I said it was the best play of Embiid's season was getting blocked yeah. by Jaron. Like, the timing required to make that play happen. And then two minutes before that, and he no was guarding foul. Jimmy Butler on and, the perimeter. And no foul on the block. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, people watch him, and he's not kind of like a pop-off-your-screen athlete like in in the conventional sense. But his timing and his footwork and his coordination at his age, I mean, like... It's off the charts, and
0: um, no, in his his shooting form is hilarious too. Exactly, that, <laughs> and, and usually stuff like that bothers me and it makes me like players less. But for some reason with Jaren, the fact that he has this weird two hand push shot that looks like it should get blocked and it goes in, it goes in. And I mean, he was like draining like four point plays and like game tying shots uh, not too long ago. I also think it's incredible that he is our first anti-jinx we've ever had because you called him a Hall of Famer, which is, (laughs) I mean, by your standard, that's a great way for his career to end immediately. But that very night, he goes and scores 36 points. There's only four teenagers uh, in the NBA, basically among active NBA players, who have scored 36 points, uh, and it's LeBron, Kevin Durant, Carmelo, and Jaron. That sounds like four Hall of Famers to me you know mount rushmore
1: (laughs) what do we always say on this podcast what's the what's the golden rule of this podcast
0: The greatest ability is availability? No. The
1: rule is (laughs) that you are right about the little things. I am right about the big things. Okay? We're still waiting for anyone to agree with that rule. (laughs) I think it was last week when you said, I would draft Luka Doncic first in any draft. And I said, you know, I'm taking Jaron. He was still Jaron Jackson Jr. at that point. But uh, and then Friday night, Luca goes out after a week of hype oh, pieces. Come on, he had one bad game. Throws up a hot one for ten for four points in L.A. the Markeith Morris line, and then uh, you know Jaron Jackson Jr. went nuts in Brooklyn and. Some of this stuff, I don't want to overreact to it. What do
0: we actually say? We say, don't judge players on their best day or their worst day. So
1: I'm not judging Jaron Jackson based on that day. But you're definitely
0: judging Luka based on that day.
1: (laughs) No, No, we're going to, we'll talk Luka. I think defensively, he's just, he has such a high baseline that he's going to be super valuable regardless of the context that he's in. And then offensively, like he's just scratching the surface. And seriously, When we were talking about him on the last podcast, I I threw out, like, the Draymond Green comparison. Um, And as I was saying that, in my mind, I was thinking Draymond Green with a jump shot. And Draymond Green with a jump shot is, like, kind of close to Kevin Garnett. And I don't want to compare any 18-year-old or 19-year-old to Kevin Garnett. But, like, that's the territory that I think is sort of in play.
0: Look, it, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's like, you should watch Jaron Jackson Jr. do his 2.9-ing. It's just incredible on defense because, like, <laughs> there's people out there to do that. Yeah. He, his sense of timing defensively, exactly. when to help, positioning how to keep plays in front of him is excellent. Now, he's too jumpy. Like, he will still foul people. He will still get his get himself. He's just frisky, right, on defense, and that can lead you to some problems. But if you just compare his spatial awareness, his sense of timing, what his responsibilities are – where he should be positioning wise compared to DeAndre Ayton it's like (laughs) Jaron Jackson Jr. could mentor DeAndre Aiden already, like right now, like they should hire, the Suns should hire Jaron Jackson Jr. as an assistant coach to teach Aiden how to play team defense.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? That's the thing is, I'm not sure how much of that you can learn. I think a lot of it is just feel, and you can watch Jaron, ja- J- <laughs> this, you can watch Jaron for five minutes see? and see that he feels it. And, um, and it, the other thing is, I'm not big on appreciating the intricacies of defensive rotations. Yeah. But, some of this stuff does pop off the screen where you well, see him like 20 feet from the hoop it helps against when his, the guard and he's yeah. fine.
0: And it helps when his arms are that long. So it's like if he needs to recover or come across the paint, he's just like swat, air traffic controller like Anthony Davis style swatting shots from absolutely nowhere. It's like, okay, that helps too, you know?
1: Yeah, it's uh, that dude has it. Um, the Rockets will trade Chris Paul within 18 months. Uh, it didn't make me violently react. Uh, Doesn't it feel like a move that Maury would do... First of all, it's a smart move. And Maury is smart. And it just seems like the direction we're headed. Like, that team is so top-heavy right
0: now. I mean, what this one really felt like to me was you licking your wounds with John Wall. And you're like, okay... We're gonna to have to trade john wall and it's gonna get really ugly so it was sort of like well maybe if you can rationalize it by finding a point guard who's actually good who also might get Dude. traded <laughs> for a similar reason and if you can say well look if the rockets have to trade chris ball then of course we have to trade john wall you can kind of talk yourself down that um, road gee, is that what's
1: happening i thought you were saying this is me talking myself into an eventual john wall for chris paul trade oh. which- isn't going to happen because the Rockets are too smart and the idea of pairing Wall and Harden together on the party circuit is pretty dangerous but I would love to watch the Twilight of Chris Paul. So this is not an anti-Chris Paul thing. I think it's just the way their team is currently structured and um, you know they now have basically two Supermax deals and Capella and that's not a bad top three but as we've seen over the last couple weeks like when Chris Paul is not playing or not 100% and firing on all cylinders, like they're kind of screwed. I mean, Harden's yeah. been really good.
0: The other thing I'd say too with, with Capella, it's really hard to replace Capella and everything he does for them. So if you're trying to imagine what's the future of the Rockets, you're like, oh, let's just retool around Harden and Chris. If that means trading uh, Clint Capella, how are you going to replace all the things that he does defensively finishing? That's not easy to do. Now, obviously, he's got a pretty high salary, but that's a gigantic hole. And the rest of their front line is so weak that yeah. it would just be even worse, right? be a lot easier to retool around Harden and Capella rather than Harden and Paul.
1: Yeah. If you get a couple pieces back, I mean, Harden's got another four or five years playing at this level. And they'll be able to do some things, yeah um, the more interesting question is, like, I don't know why any other team would trade for Chris Paul right now unless it's the Lakers and they kind of strike out on, like, four other guys that they want more than CP3.
0: It's easier to talk yourself into Chris Paul than it is John Wall. I mean, like, because <laughs> yeah. you could just say... The lowest
1: possible ball. Yeah, no, but, like,
0: if this is the market, right? Like, okay, so if you don't sign Kemba... Yeah. And now your next option is, okay, That's tr- true. trade for Chris Paul because we need a point guard We need want to get over the top. If you're a contender you can talk yourself into Chris Paul for a year or two, right? Or if you have another main star who's sort of in his prime and you need somebody who's going to boost you up and over. um, I can, I can see that a lot more easily than I don't see anyone who would want John wall. And if I was the Suns, by the way, if I was James Jones, I would issue a press release saying, I don't want to trade for John wall just so people don't think he's the dumbest guy in the league. Because right now, every conversation I've heard about John wall trades is, I can't think of anyone besides Phoenix. If I was Phoenix, I would be saying, like, screaming to the mountains. Don't don't throw me
1: in this. We're not in on this. I said that on the radio, uh, like, a week ago. I was on ESPN Radio, and they asked me about a John Wall trade, and I was like, well, you know, like, maybe Orlando or Phoenix. I hope they're not listening to this segment, but, you know, we'll see. Um because that's where we are. What was the quote you texted me? I think it was it was from a Bobby Marks thing.
0: It was just something along the lines of like I haven't seen a contract in the last twenty years that's like this impossible to move. <laughs> and it was like if you know if you're a GM, you like wouldn't be able to make eye contact with your owner while you're trying to <laughs> while you're trying to sell him on a John Wall trade because it's just like too hard to be able to spin it that his talent is worth it. Something along those lines. I'm probably embellishing slightly. While we're sideswiping the Wizards, though. One of the first things I saw after getting out of the cab here in D.C. was a poster with Bradley Beal on it trying to sell, like, eight-game season ticket packs. Yeah. Do you think they've sold a single one with that poster? Like, is there anybody buying tickets to the Wizards with Bradley Beal as the face of the Wizards?
1: You know what I saw on Twitter today? You know when you go to the search area of Twitter and they have, like, the trending topics at the top and they said, Wizards vs. Knicks. Uh, <laughs> because you follow Bradley Beal in fine print at the bottom. And I was like, you know what? Damn right. I still follow Bradley Beal and will follow him anywhere. So I would buy season tickets because of Bradley Beal. I don't think that more than like 10 or 15 people other. But, but,
0: but you haven't and we're not sure anybody else has. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So uh, fair point. So this one, and we got to wrap this up. We got five minutes here. Michael Jordan would average 45 points per game if he played today.
0: Pretty sure this was my idea, but I was glad
1: I made your column. Um, Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. The Mike in the modern era part was a discussion that came up between you and I. And then I said... Michael Jordan would average 50 points per game <laughs> if he played today. And then I decided to tone it down because I thought it would sound too sensational. I think deep down, that's what I really believe. But what do you think?
0: So I was doing some real thinking on this. So I went back and looked. So his highest per, per year was 37.
1: Yeah, in like 86.
0: Yeah, the might have been a little later, but yeah, right around there. So the pace was pretty high back then, right? But nobody played defense at all. I think teams actually play harder on defense now than they did back then. Uh-huh. So that's one variable that I was weighing. But when you throw in the idea that you couldn't hit him, like the book the Jordan rules couldn't have been written. There's no <laughs> rule. If you can't hit him, if you can't bump him, if you can't like restrict him off the ball, yeah. if you can't hand check him, you can't flagrant foul him because he's going to you know immediately get all of your players ejected. And he's just going downhill to the rim, and you have to play like super small ball lineups to kind of keep up with this team because they would surround Jordan with four shooters. So you don't really have the ability to protect the rim against him. See, you get it. It would get very, very, very dicey. I I mean, mean,
1: Giannis at this point is already putting up like... 35 a night. I don't yeah. know what he's actually averaging, but it's yeah. every, every night I look up Giannis has like 36 and 18 and six assists and that's just his normal now.
0: I think I might, you might be able to talk me into 40. You yeah. might be, I mean, but that is ridiculous.
1: I mean, he would be completely unguardable and the, with the no hand checking and the space that guys have now, I just don't know what anyone could do. And that's before you start to factor. So here's the thing. Like, because of the new rules, I would say he averages 40. But then you also have to factor in him shooting threes and him. And you, like, I'm pricing in Psycho Jordan turning himself into like a 41% three point shooter, or even like he shot 37, 38 some years. Like, he could do it. And if he goes from shooting two or three threes a game to shooting 10 or 12, like, That's another little bump there. And so I think it's like not as crazy as people um, might assume at first blush.
0: I think it's also a good reminder that people should just go back and memorize Jordan's basketball reference page because (laughs) some of the numbers.
1: That's the thing is like you're the Jordan Stan on this podcast. That's never really been my thing. He came to D.C. and turned me against him forever. (laughs) Those were two miserable years that I never want to talk about but uh like the guy was just incredible
0: (laughs) i mean that's the thing so we we, i looked it up right now 1986 87 he averaged 37.1 points per game he shot 18.2 percent on three pointers 18 percent on three pointers right and so you think i mean how many shots did he even get up that year he's averaging less than one three a game right so if he was if he was averaging five yeah and he was, you know, shooting around 40%. And, and
1: by the way, a couple of years later, he did get that 18% up to like 38%. Yeah.
0: Correct. Yeah, he got some help with the NBA league office at one point, moving the three-point line in for him. <laughs> but hey, we don't have to talk about that. The idea is very, very strong. I think the question is, were defenders athletic enough? Like, at that, like was the average defender he was going against in the mid-80s playing as hard and as smart
1: defensively as guys do today and that's the best counter i've heard actually because the today guys are going harder during the regular season than they were at that point
0: well they don't want to get embarrassed i mean guys go harder play to play now even than they did five years ago because they don't want to go trending you know what i mean and i i've noticed that even since i started writing about the league it's like well, it, it's pretty difficult to get away with, like, absolutely being lazy. Like, you have to be so good to be able to withstand that. Otherwise, it's just you're on tape being picked apart by everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, I, what I've been imagining as I've thought this through the last 48 hours is, like, half Giannis and half Harden. And that player could go do whatever he wanted. Um, well, that's the other
0: thing, too. I mean, if he, if you're giving him 27 or 30 shots a night... Yeah. I mean
1: like the volume that some of these guys take every now and then uh, or every night now, not every now and then. But, um, but anyways, speaking of the modern game, I wanted to end here because you and I honestly haven't talked about this. It made some news last week. Um, Here's Greg Popovich. He says the inside game is Kaputski. You've got to have downhill players. You've got to have people that can penetrate and kick. You got to have people that can switch big guys who can play little guys And mostly, Sam Smith at NBA.com writes, you have to have players who can shoot the three. These days, there's such an emphasis on the three because it's proven to be analytically correct, Popovich offered Monday. Now you look at a stat sheet after a game and the first thing you look at is the threes. If you made threes and the other team didn't, you win. You don't even look at rebounds or turnovers or how much transition D was involved. You don't even care. That's how much an impact the three-point shot has had and it's evidenced by how everybody plays. I hate it, Popovich said, but I always have. I've hated the three for 20 years. There's no basketball anymore. There's no beauty in it. It's pretty boring. So, what do you think? As a pop disciple, but also as sort of a a progressive basketball mind, pro analytics. I, I think he's faking.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean I don't want to call him a liar and like I said earlier, you know, I'm a I'm a foot soldier in the Popovich mafia, you know we talked about last week, but I think he's fronting. I think he's he's kind of being nostalgic for this, you know, old school way. But when you look at how much fun he had with the teams that did embrace the three-pointers, how yes. satisfied he was with the 2014 title, how you know how vindicated he felt, you know, being able to like get the most out of guys like Manu, and frankly, he can't really watch these, you know, nineteen eighty six highlights of guys backing down in the post and think that's more fun than watching James Harden break somebody off the dribble in isolation, and go all the way to the basket. Giannis doing the same thing one on one. I mean, to me, the three pointers, yes, it does, you know, in a way, cheapen the game because it makes it feel like it's a game of roulette. Like, okay, yeah. who's hitting these? Who's and hitting sometimes, tonight? Right. By the
1: way, it is. I yes. mean, and and here's my thing, and I, and. I basically wrote both sides of it in my column. Yeah. Um, I think that anyone who is actually watching basketball every single night has definitely had these thoughts. Like, you have yeah. to. I mean, some nights you watch guys like you know, like Marcus Smart takes like seven threes a game and is yeah. a terrible shooter.
0: But I, I, I've never had the thought there's no beauty in it because I think the, the era that I started writing in 2007-08 was a lot less beautiful and fun I agree. than the current era. And I think
1: that's the most important point to remember in all this Um, but I also and and pop is obviously overstating it and the other thing that I wrote which I wish I had emphasized more is that like if you sat down and talked to Greg Popovich about what the league is now versus what it was 15 years ago versus what it was 30 years ago like he would have a much more nuanced perspective on everything than he did in that story Um, and you can even look at the Spurs teams which is probably the best point in all this it's like Spurs in 2013 were so much more fun than 2004, and, and they were more successful too. Well, let me just say a couple of thoughts,
0: one joking and one serious. First, the joking thought. If you had under 20 games for Popovich coaching DeRozan and Aldridge and saying there's no there's no more <laughs> there's no more beauty in basketball, if you had the under, you win there, okay? Yep. But in seriousness, when he's pointing at it, you can't even look at the rebounds or the turnovers or transition defense. I do think he's also jabbing a little bit at some of the rule changes and the stylistic changes where the NBA is really trying to protect the three-point shooters. And you remember that LeBron said something like that a year or two ago of like, oh, they're trying to make it so, you know, that's – you know, chicks dig the long ball, I think was like the the quote that he kind of, you know, made reference to from baseball. And I have caught myself wondering this year specifically, did they go too far with some of this stuff? Like are they protecting the shooters so much that they're – incentivizing these guys to take even bad three-point shots because um, you can draw fouls or, you know, you can put the, you know, defenses in positions where they can't even guard you and it's a, a benefit. And I don't want the game to become unbalanced. I know defense isn't fun. It's not selling tickets. But I do think that some of the beauty he's talking about is, like, the chess match aspect to it where, like, the defense has to feel like it has a fighting chance, right? And I think right now, I mean, looking around, who's playing great team defense, not that many teams, and do any of those teams, even three years ago, feel like they have the same level of chance they do? Now, given pace of play and scoring being high, I don't know if they do.
1: Yeah, okay, good. If I
0: was was a coach, like if I was the Van Gundy or the Popovich of the world, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, you know, kind of always spouting off about this stuff, my whole take would not be exactly what Pop said it would be. It's not fair for defense anymore. Defenses have no chance the NBA is basically trying to have steroid style basketball and just, you know, right. you know, having scoring go way, way too high. And that's, you know, not in the best interest of the game. That would be the argument I would be making. I can see why he's not doing that because that's how you get fined $500,000. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And uh, it sounds like we mostly agree. Basically, all I care about is that people acknowledge that like these are reasonable questions to ask along the way and any smart basketball fan has been asking them sitting like even if it's just internally sitting watching some of these games you're like what the hell am i even watching here but
0: when you're watching guys switch and we're watching guys like weak leaks uh get picked on you know during the playoffs and you're watching the ball you know move around the perimeter you're not thinking it's ugly basketball
1: No, I'm not, but sometimes you'll see, like, the Celtics, I've watched a lot of Celtics playoff games over the past couple years, (laughs) not because I'm a Celtics fan. My my apologies. They've got a lot of guys who can't shoot threes, but they play smart basketball and are going to get 40 to 50 threes off every game, And, and it doesn't matter whether they're going in. They just... That's the way they've been programmed, and that's the way they should be programmed. And um, there are nights when you look at it and say, God, this is kind of frustrating.
0: It would be annoying if you felt like that was a gimmick, if you honestly thought that, and you're watching teams that are sort of average at being gimmicky, and having feeling like you, you have to be so great at not playing that way to be able to overcome the average yeah. gimmick. And I think that's sort of the notion underlying some of his hyperbole here but i do think he's exaggerating he
1: me. he definitely is but i i also think that there's a lot of kind of triumphalism among hardcore basketball internet people who are just like, this is the best era the NBA has ever had. And look, I wrote that last week. I said that the NBA has never been better than it is right now. Look,
0: you can't argue with yourself on the podcast. No. It doesn't give me any room, okay? <laughs> if you're just going to have multiple personality disorder, what am I supposed to do here?
1: I'm just saying, like, I saw a lot of people saying Greg Popovich is full of shit last week. And I think it's more nuanced than that. Yeah. So moving on though. But first, a break, Ben. To talk about our old friends, our favorite oh, sponsors my of all time, Mac Weldon.
0: Michael Jordan just sent a fax because we are back <laughs> <laughs> with the Mac. Andrew, <laughs> Mac Weldon clothing is back in the regular rotation. In longtime Open Floor Glow members exactly. know how much we love Mac Weldon. We love them for their loyalty. They supported us when nobody else believed in us, Andrew. But let's be honest. We like them for the microbial, antimicrobial fabrics. You know, you're not going to smell, you're not going to sweat. It's unbelievable underwear, sweaters. Remember their merino? They, They get these special kind of sheep to make your sweaters. They get the merino wool. They've got it all, Andrew. It's high quality gear that you can get right off of their website. Sent directly to you very quickly. It's got everything you could need and it's classy. You know, you can wear the sweatpants to a nice, you know, dinner or just, you know, around watching a college football game in your house. Very versatile clothing. I love it.
1: Yeah. To be clear, Mack Weldon, I believe, were our first sponsors or the first sponsors we cared about because we actually tried their gear. We
0: did. And
1: both of us really, really like their sweatpants. They also have underwear. They have some stylish shirts and sweatshirts.
0: You know what happened to me when I was trying their gear? I'd be walking around LA and and people would sort of like make eye contact with me. And I was like, oh... Like, am I a celebrity now? Do, like, people recognize me, Andrew? They weren't recognizing me. They were recognizing my excellent taste in clothing. They'd be like, wow, look at that guy in that beautiful sweater. And
1: it's no BS. (laughs) Like, there, you honestly look very presentable and you're very comfortable. And that's a deal uh, that I am rarely able to pull off. (laughs) Usually you have to choose... But no, Mag this, this is, is the, legitimately stylish. It's My the wife likes it. I was going to
0: say, this is the wife-pleasing clothing exactly. line, right? It's like, <laughs> Andrew, you're not wearing basketball shorts today. You've got your Mag Weldon head to toe. We're ready to go out with a nice night with our family, friends, whatever it might be. Uh, I could see it. And one thing that they like to point out, it's not just about how you look, it's how it performs, right? That's right. No, you can't have the smell, Andrew. You can't be walking around looking good, smelling bad. And the antimicrobial techniques that they use, you know, I can barely spell it. <laughs> I can barely pronounce it. But let me tell you, you do smell good, look good, feel good with Mac Weldon clothing.
1: Yes. We're pushing it hard, but go check it out. Uh, they want you to be comfortable. And if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund mm. you. Don't you love the guarantees? Go to MackWeldon.com. You can use the promo code FLOOR, make us look good, and, uh, and get some discounts.
0: That's MackWeldon.com. Enter the promo code floor. Andrew, you didn't even tell him what the promo code gives him. I said
1: them. Fl- oh, <laughs> what did he <they> give
0: him? <laughs> 20% off the first order. Don't argue with me about great
1: savings, Andrew, it's real. Yeah, go get 20% off now. Get right for the fall and winter. It's going to be a good time to be bundled. 100. We said
0: it twice. Let's say it a third time. macwelland.com promo code floor
1: moving on though to other coaching news from the top of the league to the bottom of
0: the league you're just going to skip over point number 10 which was anthony davis's all that matters and on this one we'll get to Hoyberg in a second but this is the one i disagreed with the most really yes andrew they're 500 okay
1: he's very 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 good
0: how can 500
1: is not good enough but him the indi- whole point is that he's very 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 good and they're 500 but
0: I, i'm just saying if if he in peak anthony davis form only has a team that's fine at 500 why is he the only thing in the league that matters i can give you 20 stories that's great about this league that's going to be great this year next year i can make an argument that kd moving next summer is a bigger deal than an anthony davis trade why are we trying to prioritize Anthony Davis? To me, when you say Anthony Davis is the only thing that matters, when I put that through my little translation, my Google Translate from sharp speak to English, <laughs> English comes out as Anthony Davis is the only hope the Celtics have at actually winning
1: a title. I, I'm not a Celtics fan. All right, stop. Look at the Gilbert Arenas art on the wall. Uh, here's how I would explain it, okay? I was thinking about it uh, as I was running today. and It's depressing that this is what I think about on my runs. But... Kevin Durant is the guy who is going to decide how long the current era lasts with the Hamptons Five Warriors. Okay. And Anthony Davis is the guy who's going to decide who owns the next era. And I think it's probably going to end up being LA. It could be Boston. We got into it a little bit on the last podcast. It could be some third team. Could be the Light Years Warriors. Who knows? Maybe there is no God and Joe Lacob is just here to own the next 50 years of the NBA. However... Wherever he goes next is going to have the inside track to win a title and and be the next team to kind of take over the league after the Warriors are done winning. Which, look, whatever happens with KD, I'm still going to be betting on Steph to go win a title next year. But uh, Anthony Davis is going to be like 10 times more relevant in in either L.A. or maybe Boston. And um, to me, sitting on here talking to you for several hours per week There are so many times when we're having some bullshit conversation (laughs) about where Jimmy Butler is going to end up or where player X or like, are the Rockets getting enough from Eric Gordon? (laughs) Like, you know, like, all I can say is that like, I'm going to spend the next six months wondering what happens with Anthony Davis because that is going to decide a lot of this.
0: So, what you're really saying is, Anthony Davis is all that matters from 2020 to 2024.
1: Yeah, because everything else is sort of decided at this point. Well,
0: reality-based people like me like to live in the here and now, in the present. We don't (laughs) like to have these imaginary, hypothetical, four-year-from-now conversations.
1: Fine, Fine. you know, go enjoy another Warriors Finals.
0: It's just another way for you not to give KD his credit, but that's fine. Okay, Anthony Davis is all that matters.
1: Well, look, we're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I didn't include this question we'll we'll deal with Katie to the Lakers later in the week because I have more thoughts on that I think he should I really think he should go to LA
0: all in all I think I agreed with what like six of your ten pretty much four hard disagrees that's better than we could have
1: yeah that's fair that's better than we do on most podcasts um, alright so Bulls and thank but, you to everyone who emailed in yeah
0: thank you also to everyone who heard me tease Hoiper getting fired like 35 minutes ago and now we're just getting to it <laughs> yeah
1: well <laughs> Well, what is there really to say? Okay, so I was
0: shocked. I didn't see it coming at you.
1: Well, but both kidding. you and I. Okay, yeah, right. We,
0: we ran him out of town like two years ago. <laughs> we
1: called it in like June. We were like, man, Fred Hoiberg, like, like is June two thousand sixteen. <laughs> uh, Rodrigo says, "I saw Michael Jordan dunking when I was twelve years old in nineteen ninety three, and I've been in love with the Bulls ever since." Today, in honor of Fred Hoiberg's dismissal, I ask you, what in the hell is the actual plan in Chicago? I'm glad Hoiberg's been put out of his misery. I doubt he's a good coach, but this sorry franchise's issues are not going to be solved with a coaching change. And I agree with that email almost 100%. Um, And that's the thing is like the Bulls have been so screwed up for so many years and I don't think Hoiberg's a good coach. I didn't see a lot of positive signs from him over the past few years. But like some of the lineups he was dealing with, and some of the signings, like I would have had a psychotic break when they said that they were bringing in Rondo and Wade, and and it was my job to convince those guys to play defense for six months. And then, No, you know,
0: let, just point blank. The front office screwed him in as many different over ways. Over and over again. In as many different ways as a front office can screw a coach. They found every way to screw him, right? But the tricky part for him is he had no leg to stand on, right? So the whole time through is the offense, right? Yeah. He's going to be this offensive coach. Is he going to be able to install his offense? Well, you look at the roster that they gave him. Atrocious. I mean, injuries everywhere. I would not wish the Bulls roster, as it stood during the opening season, on anyone, let alone my worst enemy, nobody. And if Fred's supposed to be an offensive coach, but you give him like four or five guys who can score a lot but not really play defense, you would expect to have some level of meaningful progress on offense, even if there's injuries, right? Last year, they're 28th. This year, they're dead last. So if you're an offensive coach, you've had three or four shots at it, you have the worst offense in the league, they lose nothing by firing you, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, so here's my real question, though. It's like if you remember back to when the Bulls were relevant and people actually gave a shit about this team. So I was like four (laughs) or (laughs) five. No, but like five or six years ago when the Bulls were a playoff team, there were always murmurs that Gar and Pax wanted Fred Hoiberg to oh, yeah. come in he was the and take control of the franchise and modernize everything. And to me, you know, I'm not privy to like how things work in the Berto Center, but like, I feel like they staked a lot of their equity on Hoiberg. And well, I think they should have, but I don't think their ownership group cares. That's what I... Yeah, like, so I don't I, understand I don't think how stu- this isn't an indictment of the guys who have been running this all along.
0: No, and that was the most incredible thing to come out of today's press conference of Paxson saying, oh, Gar's absolutely safe. What do you mean? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, have you been paying attention, dude? Safe from what? <laughs> I
1: would fire the... I'd, look, I don't own a basketball team, but if my general manager ever gave Jabari Parker the deal that the Bulls gave him this summer. Like that alone would be a fireball offense. And that's kind of how I feel about the Wizards, by the way, with the player option they gave to White. Like certain things are just so illogical – that they speak to kind of latent dysfunction because they, 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 there's no other way to explain it. And so the guy
0: I feel really bad for in all this is Wendell Carter Jr. Cause he's already the smartest and most mature player on their entire team. Yeah. Now you have to deal with your second coach. He could wind up being on his third coach by next season, depending on how that shakes out. He has no reason to trust management because he's smart enough to realize you know, Jabari can't do anything. He's making 20 mil Zach. I mean, I don't know if you saw the one of the worst plays I've seen all season long was la, last second. Yes, last <laughs> second shot. Zach calls off the screen. Hoiberg's on the sideline, doubled over in agony because he knows Zach's about to take a hero ball three. They're down one. He barely does. He even hit the rim or just hit the backboard.
1: No, you know what? He's been getting a lot of mileage out of the Bulls' injuries as rationalizations for his his behavior, but like. That's a guy who's going to be under the microscope over the next month or so. Yeah,
0: let me let me say, <laughs> earlier I mentioned Kevin Durant can't take a hero ball shot because it's always a good shot. Zach Levine can definitely take a hero <laughs> ball shot. That's not a good shot. And he did with the whole game on the line, and all of his teammates were like simultaneously disgusted. Hoiberg was disgusted. It's amazing he didn't resign on that moment. So I guess we give uh, Fred credit. At least you get your, your payout, right? Yeah.
1: I also feel bad for Wendell Carter Jr. because... He has really been overshadowed by the rise of Jaron over the last three or four <laughs> weeks. I think like Wendell Carter had a great game over the weekend. Um I think he had twenty eight or something. No, he can play. He's, He's like really good. eighty to ninety percent of what Jaron Jackson Jr. is. Um, but But let's be honest, the only reason why anyone's talking about Jaron is because of us. We're we're the totally. two man hype dream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we started the bandwagon. Um how attractive is the Bulls' job at this point?
0: Well, I would not use the word attractive. I think the framing here is is wrong. Would anyone Less t- shitty than Phoenix? Yeah. Perhaps? I, I mean, I would say, would anyone take it? Like, would you really be interested in taking it? I think, you know, next summer it could look different. Because if mm-hmm. they do come to their senses and just realize Jabari can't play, that's some money that you're not paying, right? That's yep. an ego you don't have to manage um they need a point guard and if i was a coach i would not take the job unless i had a very clear plan for how i was getting my point guard right yeah and
1: or how i was getting rid of zach Levine.
0: yeah or just moving him to a six-man role like i don't think he's completely unsalvageable he's unsalvageable as a number one option like that's just never going to work you're going to have a losing team if he's that guy but let's say okay they signed kemba this summer and now you're the coach okay like yeah that sounds like a pretty good job right are they going to be able to compete for kemba probably not you know he's going to have better opportunities i mean to me if i were him i'd look at the clippers or some of these other teams out there um yeah so they they need to have an answer at point guard because it's not on the roster currently and i would not take any job especially one that has a lot of pressure on it yeah if you don't have a point guard i just wouldn't do it
1: well i don't know about that because i think you can find point guards i mean there's there's never been more point guard depth at any point in history than there is right now.
0: I know, and that's what Frank Vogel told himself two years ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, my take is that the Bulls' job is actually a lot more attractive than it probably seems right now because you can't talk about the Hoiberg news without concluding that that situation has been an absolute mess and one of the worst messes in the league for five years now. But
0: yeah, my concerns would be working for their front office if they're still there. And yes. then okay, so you you have expectations because you have Lowry and Wendell, so you should be good. Well, like next year thing, or two years from now, you I, should be good.
1: I think you should be good in a couple years. Yeah. Um, but you're gonna have some runway, and when you, like whoever takes over that job. And I mean, look, guard packs are, are signaling that like Jim Boylan is going to be seriously considered. That's so, an inspired
0: hire. You got to love that move.
1: You know, I don't know.
0: I think 30 teams would compete for him as their head coach. Don't you think, Andrew?
1: If I knew how to coach basketball, I would feel pretty good about going to Chicago and, and taking that job because I think there's more upside than there seems to be right now. Um, well, they're
0: a point guard away from being very interesting, but you can say that about a lot of teams, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think if they had an answer there. I you would rather can, have
1: to find a point guard than have to find a Wendell Carter Jr. Yeah. and or potentially a Lowry Markkinen. But. No,
0: I'm with you. Uh, and I mean, the thing is that you do know is you have a great fan base. Mm-hmm. You've got a nice building. You've got a lot of history. Um, you don't have the crazy pressure, but I do think there's expectations in Chicago, like even short-term expectations. It's not like full Knicks where you're on like the New York Post back cover every single night. Yeah,
1: but. no, I mean, I think they came into this season thinking that they were gonna be like at least a 35 win team potentially in the playoff mix which is just psychotic <laughs> like i think you and i were talking about the jabari signing in july i mean like oh, are you kidding no. me you know what i
0: just realized what these guys might trade for john wall Woo! <laughs> they do need a point card. <laughs> what if what if they come in and they have, like boylan's our guy you know what? We need a point guard who's going to be able to get the most out of our young Vicks. Yo. We need a guy who's ready to go right now. By the time that those guys Whitney are on the city
1: wall, you've sold me.
0: You've sold me. He'd like to wear their red jerseys too, wouldn't he?
1: Let me tell you something, man. And I've thought about I thought about it looking at this photo because I knew you were going to talk about this photo, <laughs> the like, Gilbert
0: Arenas photo. You
1: know, yeah. Sorry, the Gilbert Arenas art. Uh I do love Gilbert now, which speaks to the power of nostalgia yes because the end of Gilbert in Washington was just about as miserable as sports can get and it's reassuring to me that at some point five six seven eight years from now I'm going to be able to go to that place with John Wall and I will remember a time when I was Positive that John Wall was better than Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving, and that everybody was full of shit, and he was the best pure point guard in basketball. And that's the John Whoa. Wall that I will remember. Okay.
0: <laughs> a little too far there, but I was with you in spirit.
1: But for now. I will have a whole new lease on life whenever the Wizards can find a way to trade John Wall.
0: It's actually pathetic that we never came up with the Bulls as the right landing spot for Wall, considering... That's how irrelevant they've been, though. Yeah, let me say, if you have a a front office that pays Dwayne Wade, like, 40-something million over two that you wind up having to pay him almost all of it on the buyout... Yeah. And pays Zach the crazy money they paid Zach, and pays Jabari, you know, 40 over two, basically why is taking john wall how is that out of step with their (laughs) other moves it's not even a bottom five move for them
1: i'm in okay and i apologize chicago i was going glass half full with your future until i thought about the wall possibility now fuck you you're trading for john Wall, okay this is your karmic payback for 20 years with michael jordan
0: um, now I feel really bad for Wen- <laughs> for Wendell Carter. Yeah, seriously. Because
1: we now have seen your future, Wendell. Sorry. It's tough. All right. A couple more questions here. Alex says, Hey guys, I'm a longtime member of the Open Floor Globe and of course, Giannis Inc. I have seen a lot of despicable actions by this Knicks franchise from the Charles Oakley incident a couple years ago or Marbury and Isaiah or a dozen different things James Dolan has done. But none of those was worse than this. (laughs) And then Ben added, I think we need an official statement from the CEOs of Giannis Inc. after this hostile act from Mario Hazonia over the weekend. So Ben, do you have any thoughts I think
0: expulsion from the league is an appropriate punishment. <laughs> uh, no, he got him. I mean, I, I credit to Giannis. And here's the thing. There's always the well, high wait, horse. Wait.
1: Let yeah. me add also for anyone who doesn't watch basketball every single night. What happened is that Mario. I'm pretty Hazonia, sure
0: people saw this one. But <laughs> who had
1: to. two points in the game. Uh, those two points came on a dunk over Giannis Antetokounmpo. At which point Giannis was on the ground and Hazonia like triumphantly stepped over him the same way Allen Iverson did Ty Lu in two thousand one and um and then you know tempers flared after the game so what's your what's your thought?
0: A couple thoughts. I mean, first of all, credit to Giannis high horse take of he went for the chase down block. It wasn't like he got posterized. He was making a very athletic defensive play on the ball. He just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. He didn't get dunked on, but he was in the vicinity. So that's number one. Uh, number two, the step over was also a practical matter of, uh, you know, him getting back towards the the other side of the court on defense. Right. So The Iverson one was so embellished. Like, it was like, okay, now I'm stepping over you and I'm making sure (laughs) everyone sees it, right? And granted, Hazonia did embellish slightly, but there was also, like, the matter of he needed to go from point A to point B and he took the most direct path, right? Uh Uh-huh. Point three, Giannis threatening violence afterwards. I'm not sure I can condone that officially (laughs) as part of my official statement from Giannis Inc. Because Giannis Inc. is for the kids, Andrew. And we don't want to go out there and being you know, saying, oh, yeah, it's fine if violence comes in and, and this and that. I didn't
1: not like it. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I don't know, though. Here's the thing. And I, first of all, I apologize. I It was a humbling moment. We we were shook up by it. I I, <laughs> I breached my fiduciary duties to Giannis Inc., but I was not watching the Knicks-Bucks game, and I still haven't watched the full game. Apparently, there were some... Um,
0: middleton kind of middleton got uh benched there because he was lackadaisical for like 30 seconds at the end of the third quarter
1: i was alerted by other members of Giannis inc yeah and they they told me to give you shit for it but unfortunately Ugh. i haven't watched the whole game see
0: this is what i mean this is how why guys have to play so hard in the modern era <laughs> middleton could have gotten away with that stretch in the 80s <laughs> yeah, every true. single night but now he gets one one game off okay bud you know tries to make an example out of them because they you know took a bad loss to the knicks and you know, next thing you know, everyone's you know blowing you up. But they should have won that game. Giannis rebounded spectacularly from that. I don't know how I feel about the threat
1: of violence. That seemed like maybe a little well, too well, yeah. And here's the thing. Here's my problem. I love Giannis and Tedacumpo. However, I love Mario Hazonia. Oh <laughs> no, so no. I enjoyed it from Hazonia. And Giannis, yep, well- You haven't mentioned
0: Hizonia in three years. Oh, well, yeah,
1: but I, sorry, I can't abandon my roots. Hazonia's a family <laughs> member too. Um, The Giannis issue, I love the fire from him. You know, I saw that he, because that like after the game, I don't even know what he said because there were several versions. I was going to yeah. punch him in the nuts, someone reported. Or I was, was going to punch, punch him in the, the stands. stands. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Either way, I, I enjoy the fire but I also feel like you it know, wasn't his
0: default setting though. He was forcing the. He was forcing it, was it a little forced. bit. Yeah. It was forced. Giannis, you're not Oakley. Okay, we don't want you to be the next. And you don't Oakley. need to be. Yes.
1: Okay, it's possible to say. You know what? I got dunked on. It happens. It is yeah. what it is. I'm ready to move forward. I wish we had won the game. Like it, that's it, what he should be pissed off for
0: about for sure. You remember that uh, viral letter that Steph Curry got from like the girl who wanted a pair of Underarmors in girl sizes, and it went all crazy. And yeah. you know, Steph said he was going to you know make do. Whatever he possibly could to make sure that that girl got Under Armors. Giannis, that girl's going to want your shoes in a year when she wears the Under Armors. Okay. So you need to remember, you need to appease all of your fans. Everyone is looking to you to be a role model. So, you know, channel your Steph Curry a little bit. Well, and, and play
1: it cool. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, sometimes it's, it's... Everybody gets dunked on. It's it's part of the well, game. I think
0: he would have played it cool if they had won because then he could have just yeah, been like, we took the win. I have 30-something <laughs> points. I don't even know who Zonia is. Like, he could have played that card, but they took the loss. And I tell you, Giannis is not happy after losses, Andrew. So he was probably in his feelings a little <laughs> bit. But I got a uh, trivia question for you. What? As of taping... They were fifteen and seven through twenty two games. You know the last time the Milwaukee Bucks had that good of a record through twenty two games.
1: Um, it's not
0: even that good of a record, but like it's for them, it's a good record.
1: I love the Sam Cassell, Glenn
0: Robinson Bucks teams. Nineteen ninety one. Whoa! Right? So Giannis was negative years old the last time the Bucks were this good. <laughs> I right? was almost negative years old. That's what I'm saying. So let's Who focus. Wasn't even on that. So tip? let's focus on the bigger picture with the Bucks. Okay, they've dropped a couple of weak losses. I will admit that Middleton is not a bum. Everybody get off Andrew's back about that. And let's just pretend. Can we confiscate the tapes? Can we get Nike to confiscate the tapes, please? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that's the true sign of yes. Giannis's rise. Is if we start. Um censoring people uh shout out to Jordan Crawford wherever he is um (laughs) let's move on Joe R said 6'8 Marcus Smart as a comparison for Josh Jackson is a pretty significant insult to Marcus Smart a literal 6'8 Marcus Smart would be a really really good player and um this was actually a tweet that came in right before we were set to record here and um It's a good point because I thought about it and a 6'8 Marcus Smart is basically Draymond Green and Josh Jackson is far, far
0: away from Draymond Green. I mean, it could just be an insult to 6'8. I mean, it just (laughs) could be an insult all around to all parts of the sentence. I don't know.
1: Let's call Josh Jackson a 6'8 Marcus Banks. Do you remember him from the Celtics? He was a, a summer league legend for a couple years there. That's like a 2005 deep cut.
0: One thing I'm tracking with Josh Jackson, and this is for the dorks out there, he had a negative win shares as a rookie and he's on pace to have negative win shares again. It's not easy to do that in lots and lots of minutes, even if you play for a bad team. So for those of you who are, you know, maybe fantasy players or demented fantasy players and looking for like the worst guys to put up the worst possible <laughs> stats, keep a keep a real close eye on Josh Jackson.
1: It's tough. At some point we're gonna have to talk more about what the hell happened to all three top three picks last year (laughs) because it's getting pretty grim and um i i have no idea that's a star-crossed draft class and that was supposed to be one of the best draft classes in years so uh we need donovan mitchell to at least start playing better
0: yeah right now if he can just improve his field goal percentage andrew he could be part of the illustrious 40 uh, 2462
1: club. Is that Josh Jackson. <laughs> His shooting splits. <laughs> Says a lot about Donovan Mitchell's year that I had to check. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Uh, we still got 12 time, you know, anchoring at all of it. So, anyways, uh, that's right. Josh Jackson was number four. But um, let's do nicknames here for a second here. Because a number of people did. A lot of research. Well,
0: that's right, because I challenged everybody at, to to email into openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com to go to basketball reference and find the dumbest possible nicknames wow, you could find. Did you? I did. You know you never listen, so it's <laughs> Cause fun. Because you I were always, wondering why are we getting all these emails? We got
1: a lot of nickname emails and I was like People were really into that throwaway (laughs) segment we did at the end of the Friday podcast.
0: I was trying to salvage it because I was whining, and I I don't like when I whine through your segments when you come up with questions. I didn't know why we did the Gary Harris nickname thing because he doesn't have a nickname. So we challenged the listeners to come up with the goofiest nicknames from Basketball Reference, and they delivered.
1: Yeah. Um, Ricardo says, Rudy Gay was the great (laughs) Rudini. I kind of like that one. (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah lots of people call him that too (laughs) maybe we should start though DeRozan has no nickname listed um 46 would be a good one don't you think paul gasol for you uh paul gasol has the meal ticket nowitzki has tall baller from the g which is actually kind of (laughs) great that's a really good one german race car not so good (laughs) really not so great um Luke Walton has Little Wheats, uh, which has to be some inside joke somewhere along the way. Markel Foltz has Quick Wash, Oof. which is a little too close to Quick Washed, which Oof. feels like where we are right now. Um, Tony Parker has Fiery Francophile and Parisian Torpedo, both oh, yeah. of which are definitely in the conversation for worst nickname possible. Um, Marcus Saul has big burrito, which <laughs> uh, I, I kind of like, actually. Um, uh, I
0: don't know. Wait, hold on. Do Spanish is
1: Spanish people eat burritos? I don't know. Probably not. That actually. feels very that's, culturally that's, insensitive. It does feel kind of racist. <laughs> Tim Duncan ha, or culturally, I don't know if insensitive is the word. Um, just wrong. Um, but anyways, Tim Duncan is the stone Buddha.
0: His other nicknames on here were Groundhog Day and the Old Man Riverwalk. Of course, Timmy and the Big Fundamental. But I'm telling you, basketball reference. Groundhog
1: they, Day is pretty good. It's pretty good. boring-ass bank shot. Excuse me, his consistency, <laughs> his
0: unrivaled consistency.
1: Yeah. Um, Old Man Riverwalk's not bad. Old Man Riverwalk is good, actually. Yeah. Um, that would be a good Popovich nickname, too, actually. Uh, Sean says, I just did some research, and the lamest nickname I could find was Nerlens Noel, who is called the Nerlin Wall. <laughs> <laughs> if Nerlins was from Germany, this would be a Tower as good nickname, but he isn't, so it's just really dumb. Well, aren't there like five museums in D.C.
0: that have pieces of the Berlin Wall? And don't you think Lego should make the Berlin Wall?
1: Maybe. I, I told Alice, the, uh, I, to, I was talking to her last night about wanting to go to Berlin. That's on, on the bucket list as well. Um, but I, to me, of all the emails we've gotten, and these are only two of like 20, uh, Nerlin, <laughs> the Nerlin Wall is the worst one because I'm going to think about it every time I watch Nerlin's Noel for the rest of his career.
0: I'm gonna to see Tony Parker not be able to turn the corner and think whatever happened to the Parisian <laughs> torpedo, yeah. R.I.P. Uh, it's yeah. tough. Berlin is really nice. It was one of those uh, my entire life of of times I feared for my life uh, after watching Germany win a World Cup game in Berlin and being in charge of getting my two brothers back to the hotel that we were staying at as people were like throwing glass bottles from like second and third story windows um, <laughs> and celebrating their victory was one of the most terrifying moments probably 30 minutes stretches of my life so hopefully it won't be like that when you go
1: so wait that was that was when i was in germany yeah mm, i was in ireland for that world cup i'm uh, i'm really jealous i've never been to a, a world cup in person
0: well, you should go to Qatar because all of a sudden you're going to. Oh man, <laughs> you got all these connections to Saudi Arabia. I think we know which one you need to go to. Oh
1: man, that is the last place yeah. I want to be. Um, go to and- the
0: UAE, get your Legos.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. But so, what would you call it? The Burj Khalifa? Oh, the the rapper. <laughs> the rapper Burj Khalifa. All right, we've descended into nonsense here. The one thing I do want to read is, um, and we got a good email from Trey who talked to us about... Trey did
0: more research on the nicknames than we did on every episode for the last two months combined.
1: Yes, he said, I don't necessarily enjoy the Gary Harris nickname segment, <laughs> but I'm hungover and listening to the podcast and thought I'd Google Harris to see if he had any nicknames. His Wikipedia nickname is Gary Gary Harris Harris. (laughs) So maybe we should just go with Gary Harris squared. Gary Harris's father is named Gary Harris also. So maybe he's Gary Jr. Gary Harris's Twitter handle is at that's G. So I'm assuming his close friends and family call him G. G14 summit is kind of dope. If Gary Harris was a political science major, unfortunately he majored in marketing G14 is still pretty good, though. And then he signed off. I kind of hate myself for having done any of this.
0: <laughs> G14 summon is not a good nickname, Trey. I'm sorry. You know
1: what? G14 is not bad, though. It, uh, it reminds me of, I believe it was Rush Hour or something was G14 classified. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I feel like when I, we get into the G plus the number, I'm thinking private jets. You know, G4, G5. <laughs> yeah. And like, so G14, to me, that sounds like an incredible plane. I don't think Gary Harris has the ups to really uh, satisfy that. Also, calling him just G, like that's G,
1: I don't think— We can't do that. No, I'm Okay, fine. I don't think anyone should. I don't think he's good that's enough what I'm to saying. just be G. It's like G. outsiders can't be like, oh, G had a great yeah. name. <laughs> he had a great game last night.
0: G's mom and G Sr. can call him yeah. G. Yeah, well,
1: if you're talking to him, you could say, hey, <laughs> G, what's, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Brendan Hogan said, us Nuggets fans call him Big Shot Gary— can't
0: do that. No. Nope. He's never been in a playoff game.
1: Well, he did hit a big shot, though, over the weekend. Oh,
0: congratulations. He had won. He hasn't been <laughs> in a playoff game. Get back to me when he's made a playoff it's, shot.
1: It looks like that's coming. Somebody else said they call him Garris. Um, nope. But the Kyle said, just FYI, the Bay Area's resident Nuggets fan, Corey Runge, has been calling Gary Harris Gare Bear. Ugh. That is a good nickname, okay? I don't know if... if you and I, as grown men, can, can sit on the podcast here and call him Gare Bear. But that's the only good Gary Harris nickname that we've found.
0: I was planning to sleep on your couch tonight Andrew if you call him Gare Bear, just <laughs> casually it's dropping get out an even episode weirder than it already I'm is. I'm walking straight out the front door I'm gonna sleep at the Lincoln Memorial
1: good well hey that's a good place to wrap it for now uh, we will be back later in the week you're here all week this is the best part about you going to the post is you're gonna be in DC like 10 times more often
0: uh, hopefully not <laughs> no I I DC is nice I spent a lot of time here when I was in college because it's close to Baltimore. And, I, you know me, I love history, I love the monuments, the politics, all of it, so I'm not going to be uh, bored in the slightest, but it does make for more loopy face-to-face podcasts, so we'll be coming at the listeners again with another face-to-face one later this week.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I think I'm going to be in LA next week, so we're just... A- in-person pod now. This is what we do. Very cool. Well, look,
0: era. look, guys, you voted us five stars. If you keep giving us five stars, our budget just keeps going up and up and up. We'll be flying all over the world for summits and, and doing live That's pods. right.
1: G4 life.
0: In the meantime, G- email. <laughs> yeah, the G14 life. That's right. Open floor meets G14. Uh, email us. mail at gmail.com. mail at gmail.com. Also, don't forget, go to our Apple podcast page uh, by searching for open floor. That's two words. Go to rate and review, tap five stars, leave us a review. It's just that easy, and we really, really appreciate it. Andrew, thanks so much for your hospitality tonight. It was great to to see your beautiful home and the incredible Gilbert art and the Legos. I'm glad that you really keep it real and you're not just fronting on the pod. (laughs) Until later this week, I will talk to you.
1: All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network,
0: your team every day.